Again, all you clickers and clackers, it is me, Adam. And James. And welcome to the HBO Boys recap and review of episode two of The Last of Us, this episode entitled Infected. James, how did you feel about this episode? I thought episode two was great, even better than the first episode. And I also thought that the cold open, which I really didn't like in episode one, much better here in episode two. Yeah, for sure. For sure, way better. And just for people who don't know, what we're doing here is we're going to give a spoiler-free review of the episode, just kind of going through what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, but without kind of revealing any of the main plot points. So anyone who hasn't listened to it can listen to this and then stop promptly uh, before we spoil every line and every scene for you all. But yes, I felt the same. I liked this a lot. The The cold open, I think, was, uh, for me, about as compelling as the first one. I think it was incredibly well acted. HBO, again, pulling out all the stops for their talent. It's incredibly believable and scary and uh, just kind of this hopeless scenario that it explains to us in detail. And again, this episode in such a perfect recreation of not just the aesthetic of the game or the mood of the game, but of like the specific rooms the characters walk through in the oh, game. Yeah. Those are here in the show. Yes. I'd love to visit like the set of this on like, you know, those tours they do to like the Hobbit set. Oh. I want to do that. But to the last of us, man, that'd be crazy. Sadly, I don't think that'll ever be able to happen. <laughs> I would love for it to happen, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, the set pieces uh, were massive. The decrepit city, uh, broken down buildings, rubble. It was just incredibly detailed and very well thought out. And again, I, I think this will be a recurring theme throughout all nine episodes. I, I found out it was actually nine, not ten. I said ten, so I apologize. All nine episodes Fuck. of this show. I know. Fuck me, right? <laughs> On, on nine episodes of the show is incredibly faithful to the game. Uh, they've done an excellent job and making the game come to live action. And I'm incredibly happy with that. And in episode two, I think it really showcased the talent of the actress who plays Ellie named Bella Ramsey. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I've, I had my doubts in the trailers because I was For like, sure. oh, it's the weird looking little girl from Game of Thrones. But yeah. she's nailing it. And actually, her weird look is starting to grow on me. And now I think she's cool. <laughs> weird look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I knew nothing about her. So again, and I've repeated this is I had no idea what to expect, but she truly has been nailing it. Really, from the mannerisms down to the lines, down to her voice tone. It, it, it was a, a really good cast. Uh, I don't know much about her repertoire in Game of Thrones, but you know she's a very young actress that is turning out to be incredibly good at her job. So I'm sure that this show will 
thrust her into the ether as a well-established actor. And the funny thing is, she, I think, is really killing it as Ellie, Mm. whereas the Mandalorian guy is doing very good as Joel. Very serviceable Joel. He's doing great. But she is killing it. Yes, it it is. Now, I liked Pedro Pascal as the cast for Joel, and I heard that, um, you know, a few lines that he was going to do. And it didn't have the same Southern Texas draw that Troy Baker did in the game, which I think is fine. It's kind of a different take of it, but the likeness is still so strong to Joel that it's something that I'm, I'm totally fine with. And if people miss like the old Southern accent from the games, maybe, you know, that, that would have been nice. However, Pedro Pascal is really good casting, I think. Sure. And I don't, since he already has an accent, it would be kind of weird to make him do an accent. He's already kind of known for his <laughs> right. famous real accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and personally, I think it would probably be goofy if they forced him to do a Southern accent. I'm glad they didn't make Pedro Pascal do a Southern accent. That have been weird. Pedro Pascal with the light accent. I, you know, you hear it a little bit with some of the things he says, but it's definitely not as intense as Joel was in the game. You know, I, I just very intensely remember like, come on, Ellie, from the games as he's like ushering Ellie along. But it's not there here, but it's fine. It's totally fine. It's very passable and a great performance from Pedro Pascal. So I'm not even and upset actually, about it. And actually, the third main character of this episode, Joel's girlfriend, question mark, wife, question mark, just good friend. <laughs> She was excellent, too. And I maligned her, the actress that plays Tess, that is. Anna Torv. Yeah, I said she wasn't in anything. One of our patrons, by the way, if you want to talk to us, you can become a patron on Patreon, and then you can join us on the Discord. Like this patron who fact-checked me when I said she wasn't from anything famous, and he was like, no, she's actually from Fringe, I think is the name of the show. Yes. And surprised that you didn't watch Fringe. Never even heard of it. I've heard of it, but I never watched it. There's so many things I have to watch from succession to something else Ryan told me to watch. (laughs) Yeah, I still haven't even started playing Cookie Run Kingdom. Sorry, that's too esoteric of an HBO Boys (laughs) reference. Anyway, guys, it was a great episode. I thought it was really good, even better than the first. And in a moment, we're going to spoil all of it. So if you still haven't seen the episode, just go watch it first. And then you can come listen. And Adam and I are going to in-depth talk about each scene in the show and we're gonna do some riffs and some spoofs and goofs uh, immediately after this ad and welcome back and we're back (laughs) uh so spoiler time so again if you haven't seen this please watch it or don't and just use this as your frame of reference for the show which could be good or bad. There are some weirdos who do that. Uh, yeah, that's weird. But you know what? You do you, guys. Yeah, you know, do what you do. So we're going to go through scene by scene. And we're going to start off. Scene one. We're back to 2003. This time, instead of Texas, we find ourselves in Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, and a woman is interrupted from her lovely lunch by men in uniform. This is Ibu Ratna. I'm sorry if I say that wrong. I am not Indonesian. But Ibu Ratna. Uh, she's a professor in mycology at a nearby university, and she's asked to identify a specimen at a lab. And I think a lot of uh, real Last of Us heads were like, what? I don't remember this level from the game. <laughs> yeah, the level from the game. <laughs> Yes, this was not in the game, completely different, giving us a backstory on how it happens, the origins, which is uh, very cool. I-, I like that we didn't get that in the game. You kind of get an assumption of it in the game. Well, what I'd be very interested to know, and probably what a more effective podcast host would know than me, 
if any of this ties into perhaps like some text that you can read in the game, because in both games, there is a lot of like blink and you'll miss it, like mm. action items that you can pick up and read and, and you can yeah. gain some information about the world that way. I was scrolling online between um, Sunday night and Monday, and I think someone did find something of like a newspaper in game that it mm. alluded a little bit to some of the scenes that we see in this episode. Okay. Okay. But from what I understand, the original concept of the game was supposed to be these tendrils. They put it on the back burner, hopefully for this show in seven to 10 years, and they went with these spores for the game, right? And now we're going back to these tendrils. This was confirmed by the creators that this was already like kind of an idea they had. They just never executed at the game. So that's kind right. of cool that it was still kind of keeping faithful to the material. Yeah, and I think the tendrils are probably closer to the real life organism, the one that sure. infects ants that they're making reference to. Right, right. It doesn't have spores, right? But the spores right. are kind of cool, so you'd put them in a game. Right, and and the spores make it, you know, it, it's difficult to translate spores to real life because it's a little out there to say, oh, you know, these spores can be airborne, but they're also contained to very specific areas. I kind of like the gas mask aesthetic, but that's okay. I do too, but would you like it the entire show? <laughs> I don't think so. It would really play to Pedro Pascal's strengths, though. Always has his face covered. <laughs> this is the way, Ellie. <laughs> this is the way, Ellie. <laughs> that's good. Once at the lab, the professor positively IDs the cordyceps fungus. Of course, she couldn't believe that it came from an infected human from a wound on their leg because cordyceps can't live in human hosts, blah, 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 blah. But alas, here we are. Um, it's really happening. And something else to quickly note here. We got our first bit of nudity on this show in the form of the female victim on the gurney. Something that the game, while being violent and vulgar, actually didn't show at all. All. So I thought that was an interesting decision. Still no dong for Dong Watch 2023. Happy New Year. No. Yeah. And then also in, in HBO fashion, usually it would be uh, erotic nudity in some way. Not so here. This is <laughs> right. grim and dark. Yes. <laughs> Very morbid. I thought perhaps that this was the result of some kind of government experimentation to mm, make some yeah. kind of bioweapon. They they go into it a little bit more about how it was uh, you know, a food factory, you know, the wheat was a perfect place for this fungus to thrive. We do get that information, which is nice. But uh, the professor continues on into the clean room uh, with this recently deceased human chilling, you know, chilling because she's dead, cold body chilling. No, okay. Um, on the gurney, uh, but oh, she sorry. noticed. <laughs> I don't know the song you're making reference. <laughs> That's to. not a song. I just oh, was okay. trying to make a really bad joke. Okay. <laughs> I thought she was singing. Uh, the professor notices that the leg wound is actually a human bite mark. Dun, dun, dun. Cue the very generic zombie music. This still does not give us any kind of ultimate explanation for where the infection came from. This right. is just like another link uh, in the chain here. Yes, yeah. As she examines further, she does notice the tendrils inside the mouth of this poor woman. And she grabs a pair of forceps and starts to grab at the tendrils in her mouth. A little weird uh, to watch. But as she removes them, the tendrils seem to kind of come alive and lunge at her, which was weird to see. And it caused her to have a very justified reaction of horror and kind of drop everything and run out of the room. So that was kind of startling. I didn't anticipate that to happen. Mushroom is a really strange man because they're not a plant and they're not an animal. They're a third thing. And I don't relate to them. I don't like them. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> sometimes I enjoy thing. eating them, but I don't understand them. And I don't think that really the world is big enough for the two of us, or really the three of us. I think plants and animals on a team up take out the fungus. You don't relate to them. <laughs> Anyway, cut to uh, the office or the waiting room. The professor sitting there uh, interacting with this man in the uniform. She learns that uh, not only is patient zero still at large, we haven't found out that patient zero, but there's actually quite a few others missing from this factory that the victim worked at. So that's terrifying to think about. Uh, now that we yeah, know how fast it happens. Some of the dead bodies happens. got away. Yeah, right. Some of the dead bodies walked away. When she's asked if there's a vaccine or a cure, uh, she deeply sighs and with a chilling tone states, there is no vaccine. But what do we do? Bombs, she says. Yes, bomb the city with everyone still inside. I thought that this was a little aggressive, but after being in her brain and knowing how this fungus reacts, perhaps this really is the only way to stop the spreading if it's not too late. But clearly, as we know, it's pretty it's pretty late. Yeah, I mean, it did work in Raccoon City when they nuked that to get rid of the T-virus, but <laughs> right. I don't know. It does not seem to work in the Last of Us universe. Perhaps they did not nuke the cities fast enough. Or I Am Legend, where they took out all the bridges. I don't know if you remember that scene at the beginning of yeah. I Am Legend. Yeah. So after that scene, opening credits roll. And I got to say something here. As I'm watching this, and I feel like this is going to happen every time, this might be the first time I don't skip an intro to a TV show that plays every week because a wave of emotions ran over me hearing this title music again. And why, may you ask? Well, uh, I'm incredibly thankful that this was turned into a show as good as this is shaping up to be. So pardon me as I weep a bit. And I'm done. <laughs> I thought the intro music was awesome, but I thought the intro itself, uh, the visuals, underwhelming. Very yeah. Game of Thrones, Raman Jwadi, but it's not Yes. Him. Um, so when I was doing the live episode reaction on our Discord, if you join the Patreon, you can see this. Um, I was saying Game of Thrones fungus during the first episode uh, because it was incredibly Game of Thronesy with towers of fungus instead of towers of brick. <laughs> I was a bit uh, in my element, if you catch my drift, when I was Dang. watching this. And when I saw these, I'm like, wow, they're just doing Game of Thrones. There's nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward to scene two. Ellie is seen sleeping on a sun-drenched bed of plants and moss, pan out to the inside of a building where Joel and Tess are staring at her as she's waking up with guns pointed at her, just waiting because she's bound to turn into a zombie, right? Right? Yeah, these suckers stayed up all night for no reason. I hate <laughs> staying up all night. They fucking played themselves. They should have just believed Ellie. Yeah, right. But how can you believe a, a young girl who you've never met before? <laughs> right, and who only swears at you. Yeah, right. <laughs> But this scene had great use of lighting. There's this wide shot showing Ellie uh, sitting there in the sunlight on the mounds of grass and Joel and Tess in the shadows because, you know, Ellie is the light and those two in darkness. <laughs> okay. Thematic imagery, everyone. Uh, great use of lighting, though. It, it truly was. I, I picked up on that immediately, you know, that she's good and they're just unsure. So she's going to bring them to the light, which I thought was cool. Real HBO heads will remember that this kind of light, dark imagery was invented in Westworld. Was it? I don't know if that was a good joke. Let's move along. <laughs> See, <I don't> <laughs> so she wakes up. They exchange some dialogue. 
and Ellie explains about the Firefly base camp out west. And we get a little bit more insight here on kind of what the objective is from Ellie's perspective. And in a few instances, there were some lines yanked right from the game script, word for word. Still love that every time it happens. Also, um, like you said in the first episode, James, they are using background music exactly like the game. It's not overbearing. It is perfectly toned to what's happening on screen. I love right. this. It's in quiet scenes of dialogue where in most movies or shows, you probably would not have any soundtrack. But in a game, you absolutely would. A game without mm-hmm. a soundtrack is a little lonely. It's a little boring. And so throughout the game, you have this nice instrumental background. Well, what what um, this game does very well is when there's, um, you know, points of action, there will be like kind of a, um, a crescendo of music quietly in the background or like a scrape of a bow on a violin. And just to, you know, kind of exude a little tension um, in this scene that something's going to happen or something's coming up, but it's musical. It's not there as sound effects. It is very musical at that point. So they're doing that in the show. And I just am so appreciative. It's a very small detail, but it makes the tone of the show that much more accurate to the game. Cut to walking towards the state house against a colossal backdrop of a decrepit cityscape. And these are massive set pieces done at an incredibly high caliber. Kudos to HBO for this detail. You know, I was looking at, I had to rewatch the scene because I was looking at the background, looking at the, the buildings, you know, broken apart in the background, the cars being engulfed in vines and trees on the roadway. It was just, it felt so big and so real. So the attention to detail there also very, very good. Right. And now I've visited this capital building in two post-apocalyptic wasteland video games the last of us and fallout 4 oh so yeah should this that's ever right. play out in real life i've got a lot of context already although i do hope that there's no super mutants could come because i don't think honestly joel could take one. Oh god fallout that's a, that's another great game if you've never played the fallout series and definitely I, play I think that. there's a bad show coming soon probably oh, no i hope it's decent i hope I it's think at JJ least abrams decent. is attached well maybe not so decent <laughs> No, he's he's okay in certain stuff. But if it's based on Fallout 76, I'm just preparing for it to be a failure. If you've ever played Fallout 76, it was bad. It's a bad game. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> shitty uh, freemium bad games. Well, it wasn't even as full price, but it would play like a freemium game. Yeah, but, but Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, really, really good. Anyway, as her walking, Tess talks more to Ellie about her past, kind of what happened there, and lovers of the game will know, uh, but we find out that Ellie is 14 and has grown up an orphan. So kind of a sad backstory, obviously, you know, there's no real good backstories in this uh, post-apocalyptic world. And as they're walking, Ellie mentions out loud that she assumes that there are swarms of infected everywhere roaming the streets, but obviously that's not what we see. It's, it's just a desolate, clear, abandoned wasteland. Yeah, it's so weird to think about about Ellie at this point in the story because like she's grown up in this post-apocalyptic America but like without any culture or without any society Mm -hmm. so she really has no frame of reference except for the very like hard knocks life she's been living up until this point so everything that Joel or Tess share with her she's discovering for the first time yeah and they're like what this is normal dude (laughs) because it is weird to think 
that, you know, a person is born after this all went down. You know, it's it's been that long. And I'm sure, you know, they're just seeing this generation pop up now, uh, Joel and Tess. So it's interesting to see how they kind of handle interacting with someone from that era as well. Um, so that's kind of a cool little ditty. So as they continue walking, a clicker screams in the distance. They have a very distinctive kind of yell cry. And Joel and Tess kind of quietly converse about how far it might be away. And the camera pans to Ellie as a wash of fear fades across her face. But they move forward to the entrance of the flooded hotel lobby, which... Uh, this was a great scene. I loved this scene. And there was a quick um, shot of like a frog on a piano, which was really eerie as the frog's jumping across. It's playing the notes. I watched something about the show after it aired, and it said that the creators actually intended a duck to eat the fake frog. It was either a duck or some sort of bird to eat the fake frog um, that they had on the piano, but it didn't. It wouldn't do it. So they just left the frog in the show jumping across the piano keys which gave us that really eerie entry into the lobby ellie's never seen this before they made mention a few times that you know oh i've uh you know joel said how do you know what this is and she was like you know there are books i've read you know she's not dumb she is actually very well read and written but she's enamored by the location and she's doing very game Ellie like things like pretending to be a guest at the desk and pushing the bellhop cart through waist high water. And she's got the same exact mannerisms as game Ellie. And, and I am so, so happy about this just to really reinforce the fact that it, it is it is very good to the game. Yeah. And like in the game, she keeps asking them for a piece and they keep saying, no, you she can't have a gun. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> she says, oh, well, I can have a gun. No, no, Ellie, no. You can't. That was not as good as the first time, but <laughs> and I don't know if we've got to this point or if we're about to get there. Sure. But when when Joel pulls Tess aside and mm-hmm. is like, "Stop treating Ellie with humanity. We're taking her to oh, yes. die." And like he spells it out. Mm-hmm. He just spells it out. And I don't think it was the was it that explicit in the game. Um, I don't believe it was that explicit but they did allude to like Joel just this is a job for him like I, I forget what his exact verbiage but he was I think he said something to the effect of like stop pretending like that girl's gonna have any kind of life right yeah that that rings a very loud bell in my brain but yes yeah to, to, yes to your point it's um it's a side conversation that Ellie doesn't hear really again because she's so enamored by this kind of world that she's finally able to see and that's really sad, but it's setting up the polar difference that we're going to see in Joel and Ellie's relationship as this show goes on, just as the game did. So after that scene, they make it to the top of the 10-story building, and miraculously, they are all dry, which is incredibly accurate to the game. <laughs> right, because you get you get completely wet, and then you take about 20 steps, and then you're dry again. You're you know? right. I doubt that it was intentional, but I just thought that was funny. <laughs> And Joel and Ellie have another scene uh, of one-on-one dialogue as Tess kind of finds her way around some debris. And Ellie's talking to Joel about killing that guard from the first episode. She asked if he had any regretful deaths, such as knowing that, you know, this zombie essentially used to be a person. And he kind of alludes to yes, but before he can really answer, we're interrupted by Tess kind of knocking on the door, clearing it out. So... You know, you're starting to get a little bit of that relationship, which is nice. And we see that, like, you know, in back in the good old days of the pre-apocalypse, 
Joel was kind of like a modern man. He was the doting single father to a right. daughter. Yep. And now uh, in his new life, he has basically become the embodiment of like traditional masculinity. He's stoic and violent and unfeeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now and throughout the story, we see that like he's kind of coming back to life in a sense, like his dead heart is reviving. So the gang head to a balcony that Tess just cleared to get to, which overlooks a large group of infected piled up on the street below. And and here we get a description of the infection from Tess. Finally, kind of a true, like, how is this working description? Uh, this is a departure from the game lore uh, pretty significantly where the game has spores and is airborne. Here, there is an interconnected tendril network, if you will. And if you step on a piece of cordyceps in one area, it sends a signal all the way across long distances, which lures the hordes from another area, kind of like a target location um, or a Zambi GPS, you know? Yeah, that was an interesting concept. And if you watch the behind the episode, they explain it. They're like, this is very true to life. This is how real fungus works. It's like, okay, baby, you say so. I'm not an expert. Uh, you know what? I've heard of this, though, not not with any relation to the game, that certain types of funguses do have like these interconnected webs underground, and it is electrical pulses that can be sent, so they do kind of communicate. I don't know if it's a communication that says, hey, something stepped on me, come kill it, <laughs> but... Um, I just think it's an interesting way they got around the spores not being yes. in the game. It's very interesting and horrifying, and it has to be stopped. Yeah, and I hope it's not real, but all signs point to yes. <laughs> so they decide, uh, because this uh, long way around, which is where the zombies are, uh, is now a no-go, they decide to take the quote-unquote shortcut through the museum. So we approach the museum. Tendrils encase the facade but Joel expertly uncovers that they're bone dry. They continue through the dilapidated building. Enter in probably the best scene that we'll see of this show. The Clickers. We're introduced to the Clickers. Again, probably the most anticipated piece of this show. Uh, We did see a glimpse of them in the trailer, but we're getting a full-on thrilling and terrifying scene that kept me on the edge of my seat. I knew it was going to happen. And I still was staring at the screen with my eyes like as big as freaking marbles. Marbles are tiny. The clickers look amazing. They look so good. They explain in the behind the episode again. uh, This is where I get all my information that they started the production of these props months or perhaps years before they shot a single scene of the show. I I absolutely believe exact same level of detail that like Peter Jackson was doing to the Lord of the Rings, man. Yep. And they hired the same prosthetics director as they did for Chernobyl and Game of Thrones. So that's great because both of those things um, were very well done, although I didn't watch one of them. I know that it was very well done. Yeah, half of Game of Thrones was great. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> but something that they they mirrored very one-to-one to the game is the flashlight cam. It was very effective here. And on top of that, HBO hired all of the original voice actors that made the clicker noises from the game, mm. which is uh, like, it's something so stupid, right? Oh, they're making right. clicking noises, but these are the guys that made the game as right. scary well, they also as it make, was. Like velociraptor sounds and stuff. Right, right. They're just sound effects people. We should say it's important to the story. The clickers, they're covered in mushroom husk that's hard as stone <laughs> yeah. and they cannot see. And so yes. like Daredevil, they have developed a echolocation super hearing which they use to find their prey which is you <laughs> which is you yeah 
think think of the you know fungus growth as as a little bit of a, an armor so the, the longer that these zombie infected people are alive as an infected person um they grow more and more armor on their body in the form of this fungus so the clickers are harder to kill than the people who are just turned and what i like about this like disgusting mushroom growth that happens to them sometimes it doesn't always go well and they end up like growing into a wall or something and oh, they're yes. just like a useless zombie <laughs> wall zombie <laughs> Like, they can't even attack you. They just impotently, like, gesture at you. You know, pair these live-action humans with the original voice actor from the game. And these humans who... Live-action humans. (laughs) Humans and infected. These actors who were physically performing as the clickers were excellent in that, too. Just the way they moved. The physical performances were so accurate to the game. You have yourself a recipe for probably one of the greatest, quote-unquote, zombie monsters to hit a television screen. It blows walking dead out of the water like we talked about in the first episode it is a higher level of detail scariness um it, it well, is it's, uh, it's a different tense level. it's tense and if you don't For know sure. the story it's probably even more tense because like i know what's gonna happen but if you don't know and you know I, I at this point i really liked tess and i thought you know i like her in the game as well and i like sure. thought her the actress is doing a really good job and i was sad for what i knew was gonna happen right exactly yeah the more you see her on screen the more you're like damn it but they really did do a, a great job all around with with the actors and and um the prosthetics and things to bring this to kind of the live action realm we very rarely see a good video game adaptation also something with this scene excellent point of view angles that mimic the game specifically joel and ellie crouching around the display case and the clicker is kind of circling with them you know it's an it's an exact kind of shot from the game and more notably the shot where the clicker attacks joel one-on-one i was kind of ghost smashing the x button trying to break free because that's exactly what it looked like in the game and you have to smash x to break free it just it looked amazing it was so so good and just to comment about the game design a little bit guys if you haven't played mm-hmm. this game it's really well made in most video games if you're on an escort mission it's like the worst fucking mission in the game oh you God. take no. this useless npc across this battlefield then they just keep killing themselves ellie in the game it's the way it's designed is never a liability and only ever helps it's the perfect companion you'd want in a game they really nailed that because if like ellie was walking around getting murdered you would hate her and i think it might have been in the second game that you actually get health packs from her or the other way around you as ellie get health packs from joel in the second game i don't know but it does uh, reinforce that it is a good npc companion but just like the game, Joel wasted about three or four of his precious pistol bullets trying to get a headshot on a flailing monster. Exquisite. Perfect, perfectly resembles my play of the game, which is not very accurate. <laughs> yeah, and they can actually take more than one headshot because right. of like the weird mushroom armor anyway. So even if you nail them with a really good one, it might not bring them down. Yeah, it'll 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 kind of stifle them back a little bit. But yeah, it, it, sometimes it's the double tap. Always the double tap like from Zombieland. But Joel has an AR, so he should make pretty short work of them based on how that works in the game right i think in the scene he had dropped the ar or he got started he he ended up with his pistol because that's when he got attacked and it's just uh, it's just it's so similar
similar to the game, you know, whether you're fumbling through trying to get your weapon or reloading kind of at the worst time possible. It did a great job at reflecting that in the show. Yes. And again, how refreshing to see a character in a horror movie or an action movie or whatever actually have to go through the process of reloading a gun in real time. You can see that he's trying to load each round without having to click the thing over like, yeah, excellent. That was an excellent scene where the clicker actually finally attacked him when he was reloading his gun. Great. Excellent. And they get through that. They get through the clicker attack. Ellie got a little scrape on her arm and she actually makes a joke about being cut by one of the clickers saying, well, if it was going to happen to anyone, (laughs) might as well happen to the immune person. At this point, we see Tess. She has a little bit of a twisted ankle, but Joel is pretty much scot-free. Yeah. And I really liked, again, Bella Ramsey in this moment. I think she's doing a great job and hashtag uh, best Ellie. No, she's not the best. They're both good. They're both good. I don't want to make a controversial statement here. Ashley Johnson is Ellie, will always be Ellie, but I am absolutely happy with what Bella Ramsey has been bringing to the table for this. It makes me really happy. Makes my heart sing. You're actually right about that. Sorry. I like them both, but yeah, come on. It's like Troy Baker as Joel. As good as Pedro Pascal is, Troy Baker is Joel. Just is what it is. But uh, also something that we see on the top of this roof is, uh, again, some pretty one-to-one parallels of the game, especially a uh, a really excellent homage to the health system in the game, uh, where you have to kind of recover your health by crafting things. Tess says to Ellie, hey, wrap this up around your arm and hands her a white rag. It's a simple wrapping motion in the game that heals your health, but you do it so frequently that that is just a a very clear sign from the game. I saw it. I'm like, oh, yes, they did it. I love that. It's the iconic arm wrap. The iconic arm wrap. They also mimic a scene from the game here. Again, they're doing that a lot in this show, so you're going to hear that repeated. Uh, they're crossing the roofs by like scaffolding and board, uh, very, again, akin to the game, uh, and interject some, again, direct lines from the game. Can't deny that view, though, uh, Ellie says, as they look uh, at the state house in the distance and kind of make their way down the ladder. It is almost a one-to-one shot poetry man yeah and to say something again about the game and the show there's just something very like simple and brilliant about like you climb the ladder and then you pick the ladder up and then you put it and then you climb to the next building (laughs) you pick it up again then oh now it's a bridge (laughs) they have now reached the state house it's desolate there's no one around but there's vehicles there so some people have been there at some point you know not not overgrown vehicles like actual like truck vehicles that people were using. Yeah. Uh, we, we see fresh bloodstains and several deceased bodies kind of strewn about inside the rotunda of the state house. And we find out that as a difference from the game, Fedra was actually not involved in this attack with these deceased people as they were in the games. All the fireflies have been kind of killed by each other after being infected, kind of an infection chain reaction, which is really not good for anyone. Yeah. So like you get lost and then eaten by an infected and then someone comes looking for you and then they get eaten by you and then someone comes right. looking for them and then they get eaten by the f- second person. And then they make their way back to base and get eaten, gets eaten by another one. It just, uh, that's what ended up happening here. There was a bunch of bodies, probably 15 bodies on the ground. I didn't count, but you know. <laughs> right. And then also like, because there's lots of zombies around, you try to find some place to hide. Oops, there's zombies there already. Somebody already tried right. that. It, it just, it's not a great situation. I would kind of hate living in this world. <laughs> yeah. We discussed this on the discord. Nobody wants to live in this situation except the weirdos. I would be Audi 500. Good luck, everybody else. Blammo. Yeah, here's a grenade. (laughs) Right, exactly (laughs) right. So uh, there's some dialogue exchanges here about what could have happened. We find out, um, oh, look, you know, this guy's infected. This guy wasn't. They're kind of killing each other. And we find out that Tess has actually been bitten by one of the clickers in the previous attack. So cue the sadness of Joel as he kind of realizes yet another person he cares for is taken from him in short order. And this is where Tess decides to stay. 
away in that area as she tells Joel and Ellie to kind of press forward to Bill and Frank's. But this goodbye is much slower in the show um, than it was in the Mm. game, but still has the kind of hopeless weight that the gamers are familiar with. In the game, it was very fast. It was kind of heartbreaking. They literally wrenched it out of you. Tess is infected. People are coming. I'm staying here. You guys go. It was really fast. Here, it simmered a little bit more, but it still had that same heart-wrenching feeling that we're losing a really good, you know, kind of main slash side character of the show so far. That sucks because I really like Tess, but it is what it is. It's the game, baby. It was very sad. She sells him. She wants him to take Ellie all the way and he's like no I don't want to take this girl there this was your mission I don't want to do it without you and she says to him like I never ask you for anything I never even ask you to feel the way that I feel about you and mm-hmm. it's very sad you find out like yeah. again like Joel's not really capable of being there for her anymore uh, not like he might have been in his old life yeah th- this was um, it was a little bit more drawn out you got to really feel kind of how heavy this was going to be in, in Joel's head and you see him kind of mulling over the situation with Ellie kind of in tow like do I continue forward and and you know Tess encourages him and and convinces him to do that but before that an infected kind of moves on the ground and Joel shoots it in the head and they notice that the tendrils of this guy are starting to move near its hand and the cutaway shot shows the infected kind of being roused from that area from before and start sprinting toward their location remember Zambi GPS they know where they are it's the mushroom net the the, the what is it the um the spider-man theory where it's the web of something it's the shroom web the, yeah the shroom web he's just seeing shit all the time so they hear the infected in the distance Tess starts dumping the gasoline barrels and throwing the spare grenades on the ground and whispers to joel save who you can save And this is the catchphrase of the show during its press period leading up to this episode. And as she says this, uh, motions to Joel and Ellie, pretty much get the hell out of here. I'm buying you time. I'm dead anyway. And as she lets them go, Tess is struggling to light her lighter as these infected are getting closer and closer, which if you didn't know, we actually found out that the lighter was intentionally designed after Nathan Drake's brother, Sam's lighter in Uncharted 4. Did you know that? Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, So so it is the same exact one. Okay. So these universes are united. Nathan Drake exists in the Last of Us universe, but I think that's okay because I'm pretty sure him and his daughter and his wife live on a island with nobody else. Yeah, So I don't think anyone can get them there. (laughs) It's like Dawn of the Dead or what was that movie where they go to the island and then the the, the boat was just infected with people? (laughs) Nathan gets a phone call. Hey, it's me, Sully. I need you to come back to New York to save me. (laughs) God damn it, kid. Get the hell over here. (laughs) (laughs) And his wife's just like, no dice, Sully. We're not going to risk it. We're out. But yeah, I just, you know, wonderful kind of nod to Naughty Dog's other incredibly successful series, Uncharted. You know what? I said it in episode one, I think, or I definitely said it in the teaser trailer for this season for the HBO Boys podcast is I hope that they make an Uncharted show that lives right. to the hype that that is made the same way this is. I think because it would be Because the Tom Holland successful. Uncharted movie was terrible. It was so bad. There was a little, little tiny 
bitty, itty bitty redeeming qualities, but nothing that redeemed that whole movie. But as Adam was saying, I also found this very uh, sad, the tragic goodbye, just like in the game. But then they divert from the game in the way the test dies uh, in the most like fucked up and gross way possible. Yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a weird scene. Um, so infected are swarming into the room and kind of running past her. Now, she could have went out in a blaze of glory with a cook grenade, but I mean, you know, she didn't. So... Finally, all these infected are running past her. One stops and notices that she's standing there. And you'd think that it would start running up to her and gouging her face off or something. But it actually slowly walks over to her. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, surely they won't share a passionate kiss just before fiery destruction, will they? (laughs) It was disgusting. The entire time I was happening, I'm like, and where are they going with this? (laughs) And then he just makes out with her with his horrible mushroom tendrils. And you assume they're like shooting into her brain as this is happening, probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and you are uh, among most of the internet who immediately thought the same way. But no, no, they they didn't kiss. I think that is a terrible way to explain it. The act of a kiss, like the zombie doesn't know what the hell it's doing, but the internet exploded about this scene. While it does look like kind of a Lloyd Christmas makeout session, (laughs) the infected was simply speeding up the inevitable and used his mouth tendrils to go into her mouth and, uh, well, you get the idea. get the idea uh it was definitely not erotic or at least uh not to any sane person i don't know about you but i was getting a little <laughs> rustle in my jimmies and I, I just kept hoping i was like just keep just explode already please yeah <laughs> it was a little strange at first but then you know you see the tendrils their their mouths weren't really touching 100 percent. the tendrils were just going into her head and i mean assumably directly to her brain you know it's the the closest orifice yeah. you know aside from her ears maybe yeah it, it just it was a strange scene but i think for how strange it was it was still well done i guess like it makes sense and it was pretty horrifying yeah and yeah, can you imagine being tess in that situation that's yeah, terrifying gross. <laughs> yeah but thankfully just then her she lighter ignites <laughs> and she drops it into the gasoline r.i.p tess and i'm sure she's thinking like thank you god yeah finally explode <laughs> Like, as soon as she drops, she's like, oh, and then explodes. Right. <laughs> uh, the whole place erupts into a brilliant explosion as Joel and Ellie manage to get out safe. And that is the end of the episode. Now, in the game, tests seem to stick around longer to me. But then again, there is a lot of player-controlled gameplay that we don't see in the show. It skips a lot of those kind of walking through areas, little pieces of dialogue, you know, that you're getting along the way in the game. So that's probably why it felt shorter. Right. And I think the fact that this portion of the game was condensed only in the first two episodes maybe does prove your point. They are going to go all the way to the end of the first game, which would be nuts. I, I think they will. Yeah, I think they will. Yep. Well, they better fucking do the next game, too. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that they will. If this is proving to be the success it is, we will likely see a season two with an older Ellie, just like in part two. But something that I noticed in this episode that was kind of the only drawback for me was the Joel and Ellie relationship. The ties are not nearly as good as it was in the game at the same point in time. No, yeah, he, he's he's opened up to her a tiny bit. Teeny, teeny. It's like, do you ever feel bad when you kill people? Mm, kinda. Yeah, right. 
I think if Joel and Tess switched places toward the beginning where they're walking along the city and learning about Ellie's backstory and, and instead of Tess asking the questions, it was Joel, it may have been better. I think it may have been a little bit more believable for them being a little bit closer, but we'll you know see how it goes from now. They, they only have each other, so it's got to progress right. a little bit faster now. I think the decision from the showrunners is probably just like they wanted to build up the Tess relationship more to make that death a little more impactful. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Just like they did with Sarah at the beginning of the first episode. And we got a little bit more on her so that when, you know, the inevitable happened, it was a little bit more of a punch in the gut for the people who didn't play the game. Don't get too attached to Ron Swanson, people. (laughs) Yes. Episode three, we're introducing Frank and Bill, played by Nick Offerman and can't remember the guy's name. He was just in The White Lotus season one. Yep. Now, are these, these are from the game? So, Frank's character is from the game but we don't see frank in the game bill is absolutely in the game yep well all right looking forward to it yeah they allude to frank's character but we don't actually ever see him in the game so this this episode it will actually be a very large deviation from the game oh boy yeah the creators are even saying you know some fans may be disappointed It's because filler. It's, it, it, not necessarily <laughs> filler, but it's going to give us a little bit of uh, insight into why Bill is the way he is in the game. And I'm sure right. we're going to come to where the game happens with Bill's story. All right. Well, I'm excited to see it. And yeah, maybe if it works out like it did and they build Bill up a little bit and then what happens will be more impactful that I'll roll with it. I hope it's good. I'm rooting for good. I never go into something thinking I'm going to dislike it. From what I'm understanding from you, James, is that you're actually... You're actually kind of you actually kind of like this show yeah i think it's the best thing hbo's put out in a little while yeah <laughs> it's underplaying it a little bit <laughs> yeah i'm jazzed i hope it stays good i'm psyched Same. for the next episode Me thank too. you to our listeners and all, another thank you to our patrons who keep the show afloat you could be one too you can complain to us on discord uh <laughs> and thank you to our existing patrons uh adam got your names this time i do i have the names we're thanking sunshine connor o'dowd jamie lochner james watch my dong chris wood brent ginn craig john jewers major woody carol andreas thank you again for all of your money and uh if you'd like to subscribe it's patreon.com slash h-b-o-b-o-i-z again taking ryan's script for one or more dollars a month you too can have some extras or just some kind of support us in our endeavor in creating good podcasts that people want to listen to so thank you for joining us for episode two we'll be back next week uh definitely at a better time i think our schedules are bit are better next week to do episode three which again clocking in at a 80 minute episode so we're getting you know small movies here with this show yeah sorry guys my schedule has been really messed up i've been going to see the movie avatar 2 in theaters once or twice every day for the last couple months <laughs> so you're the reason 